beautiful fall morning. I don't know how many of you have switched from air conditioning to heating in your house, but wow, it's kind of nice, right? Refreshing to, to have some cooler weather and uh, yeah, what a beautiful time of year it is. This morning we're continuing in our series in the book of Luke called The King Has Come. And this morning we'll be looking together at Luke chapter 7. So if you have a Bible with you or, uh, or phone app, whatever you use, uh, turn with me. Go ahead to turn with me to Luke chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses 18 to 35 this morning. So Luke 7, 18 to 35. It is printed on the screen above, but let's give ear now to the reading of God's word. So John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to, uh, to you to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other, We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, he, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. This is God's word. Well, let's pray. Father, we need to hear from you this morning. We need to see and hear afresh who our Lord Jesus is and what he has come to do. And so we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would come and perform these works among us, that you would make your word powerful to draw us to yourself, to lift our eyes to heaven, and to renew us and strengthen us in our faith and walk with you. Lord, that you would indeed bring sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and life to those who are dead. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
it's easy to make excuses for ourselves. Wouldn't we all much rather someone else take the blame (laughs) instead of face up to our own faults? Why are we like this? What excuses do you make for yourself? Maybe it's a bad habit. Or those times when you say something unkind because the other person was just being a jerk. At the end of the day, I think we've all done it. But the problem is, God knows. He knows it all. And we can't make excuses with him. So the question is, where do we go for help? Help for our guilty consciences. Help to get off the treadmill of our own self-excusing. Well, our passage in Luke shows us, as we've been seeing, that Jesus is the king that has come. But here we find people who are having trouble understanding what kind of king Jesus is. You may be here this morning not really understanding about Jesus. But what you do with Jesus is the most important decision you'll ever make. It's really the all-determining factor for not only this life, but for the life to come. Because as king, Jesus is the ultimate decider of your destiny. We'll unpack this section of Scripture uh, under three points. First is misunderstanding, then it's justification, and lastly, wisdom. And those three points will guide us as we consider these themes. What I want you to hear is God's call to you this morning. Look at what Jesus has done and come to him as your Lord and Savior. Look at what Jesus has done and come to him as your Lord and Savior. And so our first point, our first point is misunderstanding. This part of Luke's account begins with John the Baptist. He had heard the reports of Jesus' miracles. Uh, He healed the centurion's servant. Just last week we heard about that, how he had raised the widow's dead son. And the people were all saying, God has come to help us, to help his people. But John is wondering, are you the one to come? Or should we look for another? You have to ask yourself, what what is going on here with John? Is he beginning to have doubts? Is he suddenly unsure about Jesus actually being the Messiah, the long-awaited one after all these centuries? But remember, John had baptized Jesus. He had seen the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove. He had heard the Father's voice from heaven speaking of Jesus, you are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. But there's also the reality that John is currently in prison. He had spoken out against Herod the Tetrarch, and he got in trouble. So he's hearing these reports about Jesus, and he's probably wondering, you know, here's Jesus roaming the Judean countryside. Sure, he's healing people, but he's spending time with sinners and tax collectors. 
He's not doing much to get me out of prison. He's going around teaching things like, blessed are the poor and love your enemies. We might imagine that John is wondering why Jesus is saying these kinds of things. I mean, when are you going to assert your rightful kingship and, and take the throne of Israel? <laughs> is this going to happen? John, like most of God's people at the time, had expectations for what the Messiah or the Christ was supposed to do. But Jesus wasn't really meeting any of those expectations. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who also are mentioned in this uh, section, had their own expectations of the Messiah. And certainly his arrival wouldn't be announced by some weird guy in the wilderness calling for a baptism of repentance. No way could the Messiah be spending time with notorious sinners and hated tax collectors. I mean, the Pharisees, the experts in God's law, were expecting a Messiah who would fit their mold of who they thought the king should be. And Jesus was definitely not fitting the mold. And the problem wasn't just that they didn't have the right information, right? It's not just that they had learned more, if they, you know, went to the right place to ask the right person, no. The real problem was that their desires were wrapped up in themselves and their own perspectives on what was right and good. And that's when Jesus points out their fickleness. He says, verse 32, What is this generation like? You are like children calling out to each other, We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. I mean, what do you want, right? God gave you a prophet who fasts from bread and wine and, well, you don't like what he has to say. And then God gives you his son who eats and drinks with the rejects of society and, well, you say he's partying too much. And there's really no satisfying you here. Whether we play the dirge or the jig. The point that Jesus is making here is isn't just that people have misunderstood him. They've hardened their hearts against God. Even if it was clearly explained how their expectations were off, their desires were too short-sighted. And people will still reject God's kingdom for the sake of establishing their own. But what about you? Have you misunderstood Jesus? Has your heart been captivated, maybe, by being the king of your own little kingdom? What are your expectations of what Jesus should be and do for you? Have you missed what he actually came to do? And so our second point justification. People have a terrible habit of justifying their decisions and behavior even when they're totally wrong. <laughs> and we learn it as children. I pushed her because she wasn't sharing the toy that I wanted. Or I called him that because he took my things. Why do I need to do my chores when so-and-so hasn't done their chores? 
And we also see it in the Pharisees who have rejected John's baptism, which Jesus calls God's purpose for them. This was God's purpose. It was a baptism of repentance. But that meant that the Pharisees would have to admit that all their law-keeping hadn't been as good as they'd hoped. You see, when you're building a case to prove yourself worthy, anything that calls that worthiness into question is immediately seen as an enemy. But interestingly, that's the very first step in a relationship with Jesus. We have to admit that we are desperately sinful and without hope in anything this world can offer. Because just as the Pharisees were rejecting God's purpose in John's baptism, they were ultimately rejecting God's salvation in Jesus' mercy. When we try to justify ourselves and improve our own worthiness, we will always miss the beauty of mercy. Because mercy is for people who are helpless, for people who are hopeless to escape their own plight. And this means that mercy can only be received by those who know that they don't have their act together, who are a mess. Jesus himself said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the Pharisees rejected God's purpose for them. They rejected this willingness to admit that they need a savior. John, on the other hand, was open to Jesus's message. Yeah, he, he had his doubts, like any of us might. But at the end of the day, John accepted the testimony of Jesus when he received the report of what he had seen, what they had seen and heard. Verse 22. He replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Notice that it was his works to which Jesus directed John. And part of the reason for that is a fulfillment of prophecy. A long time ago, it had been written in the, pro in the prophet Isaiah, uh, chapter 29, that in that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. And that's one of many. But Jesus also points to his works because they reveal what God's kingdom is really all about. It's a king who blows everyone's expectations out of the water. And unlike the Pharisees, John responds with amazing humility. He says, he must increase, but I must decrease. And this is definitely saying something, especially in light of Jesus' glowing assessment of John, who he says, right, among those born of women, none is greater. So John 
may have wavered in his faith, but he did not ultimately stumble on account of Jesus. So at the end of the day, John's humility was actually his wisdom. Because instead of seeking to justify himself, his own expectations, his own desires, it led him to acknowledge the reality that he is not the king. Jesus is. What do you do with Jesus? Maybe you're here thinking, I've been a Christian for years. I believe this. I've accepted this. But is Jesus calling you to trust him as Lord just once in your life? And certainly he calls us to trust him as our king every moment of every day. Brothers and sisters, every day we need to confess again that Jesus is the king and we are not. And it's interesting how the people who received John's baptism in our text are described as having acknowledged that God's way was right. Literally, it says, they justified God. I mean, it's natural for all of us to want to justify ourselves, to think that we're right even if it means everyone else is wrong. (laughs) But the people who came to John and later followed Jesus, justified God, showing him to be right, even if it meant they were wrong. This is wisdom, friends. And the amazing thing is that that when we justify God, humbly confessing our sin and putting our trust in the mercy of Christ, God justifies us. And so the final point is wisdom. How can you and I escape this trap of self-justification? We come to Jesus with humility and a willingness to be proven wrong. You and I can be free from the vicious cycle of trying to pacify our consciences, trying to prove to everyone and anyone that you're worthy of something. We can acknowledge our wrongness and God's rightness. And when we do, we stand justified before God. So come to Jesus as you are. He welcomes and receives you even with your sin and shame. Look at the works of Christ. Run to the one who has the power to open your eyes, to heal your brokenness, to cleanse your diseases, He will unstop your ears and raise you from the grip of death. This is the good news that he declares to us in our poverty. And it can only be because Jesus took the blame. He took our blame. Our death became his. Our sins counted to him. And he bore our shame through the humiliation of Roman crucifixion. Is this the king that you're expecting? Yet here is our salvation. Wisdom is justified by her children, those who believe the good news. The good news which the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 
is the power of God and the wisdom of God. In fact, Jesus tells the people that even the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Remember, the one who is greater than all who are born of women. And this is our hope. That when we come to Christ, that we may be the rejects of society and of the world, we come as children, justified by God. And we will shine with a glory that far surpasses even the greatest rulers of this earth. Brothers and sisters, you who trust in Christ, God is preparing for you something so much greater, a splendor that will shatter all of our expectations and desires because it will be infinitely greater than anything we can imagine. Yet this is what awaits those who humble themselves and in wisdom trust in God's justification through the crucified and risen Messiah King. And so to conclude, friends, I want you to hear God's call. Look at what Jesus has done and come to him as your Lord and Savior. It won't be easy. You'll have to admit all those things that you hate to admit about yourself. And you may be mocked and rejected by others. It may mean that you are called to die. But this is where life is found. The wisdom of God manifested on the cross of Jesus. So give up on making excuses. Humble yourself before the Lord, who freely justifies you. Come to Jesus, and he will never cast you out. Amen. Let's pray.